Hello, and welcome to the Playful Experiences podcast. I'm your host, Matthew DeLine. I'm here with a few other students and a special guest today. First, I'll introduce uh, Ben and Raymond. Uh, and our special guest today is Natalie Winter. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, share with the people in the room and our listeners a little bit about what you do. Uh, yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Natalie. I'm a voiceover artist and actress. Um, I've been uh, doing voiceover on and off for about three years now. I'm still very much at the start of my career. It's kind of a, it's a slow burner thing, I'm trying to build up contacts. But I've done a couple of video games. Um, I've been a gamer all my life. Uh, I love video games, so, uh, so I'm pleased to be here and chat to you guys and find out what you've been doing on your course, because making games is something I'm not particularly... Uh, aware of or so yeah it's a lot like playing games uh-huh. except it takes a lot longer and the results are significantly <laughs> less impressive yeah <laughs> well i think i think there's 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 something that's really cool about this process of developing games um that can be playful and i think that one of the things that we've been doing in our course recently that's awesome is sort of like having that experience to sort of not just take the games that we play, but to play games while developing games uh, so that we get that experience, that, so, so that it's not just sort of sitting in front of a computer writing a lot of code, but that we're able to sort of have this sort of, I mean, gamified experience developing. And again, we're very early on in sort of what we're doing, but the prototypes that we've been making for a lot of these things involve playing a lot of these, so, um, which can be a lot of fun. So, I mean, you know, sometimes really stressful, especially when things don't work out, but at the same time, it's really, really quite a lot of fun. So, um, cool. Uh, well, with that said, um, because uh, you had mentioned that you're a gamer, um, uh, what games have you been playing recently, Natalie? Uh, so, this week I've been playing, um, okay, so recently I've been playing the Assassin's Creed games. Uh, I'm massively behind on them. Yeah. So, I've only just finished Syndicate. Okay, cool. So I've not got Origins yet. I yeah. will be hoping to get it, but it's, it's my birthday and Christmas coming up, so I'm kind of hoping it's not <laughs> Hint, hint. Yeah. Um, no, so I, having finished that, which I, I loved, um, I know it had some criticisms, but in terms of the, uh, the world building yeah. and actually the voice artists, um, the work that they did and yeah. the mocap work on it, um, I love like the fact you could just run around and see kids playing a football game. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. so much detail going on in there. Um, but yeah, after playing a big game, I kind of wanted to turn it down, play a couple of the indie games that I've found at uh, EGX. I went to okay. September and and Adventure X, but we'll talk about that later. So I played um, the Town of Light. Okay. Which uh, which is an indie game. It was published by uh, Wide Productions and. Um, very dark. Okay. Um, you're playing a, a girl, uh, well, a woman, I think, by now, but going back and visiting the asylum that she was in in 1940s Italy. Oh, wow. Uh, I think it's 40s, maybe a little earlier. Um, but it's based on a real asylum, and they've, okay. take, they've gone to the, 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 the developers, went to the, the actual building. It's completely run down. They took loads of photographs and... Um, took it all in and have recreated it in the game. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's not a horror game, but it's so it's creepy. It's so, so creepy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, 
Yes. Can can you describe a little bit about what that play experience is like? So they've recreated this environment of an asylum in 3D, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. So what do you do in the game? Is it you explore the environment? Do you... So it's um, telling the story of a girl called Renee, who I believe was not a real person. Yeah. But they've also taken um, real diaries and transcripts of things that happened in that asylum and other asylums across Italy at the time and they've created this world that kind of tells the stories of what happened and it's focused on women particularly yeah. the, I think there were male patients but it was specifically the experiences that these women went through in this asylum the awful treatment um, the lobotomies the way they were just kind of herded around so um, it's, it's not a cheery experience, <laughs> no. but it, yeah, it was definitely a very, a very interesting one to play and quite harrowing. Um, some of the things, like she was quite young uh, when it happened and very confused in her head and um, some of the male orderlies kind of taking advantage of her and yeah. she had to have an abortion but wasn't really aware of what was going on and she's got this thing with her doll called Charlotte and yeah, so maybe not quite the uh, short experience I was after, (laughs) but it was definitely, yeah, it was really interesting to play. Um, And that was something I noticed at EGX particularly, was there's this trend at the moment, especially in indie games, towards um, dealing with mental health topics and exploring that world, exploring, you might say, more grown-up topics, I guess, um, and more problematic topics and making you feel uncomfortable in thinking about why that is. Did you get a chance, and again, we probably mentioned earlier before starting the podcast that we were going to talk about the Adventure X conference Mm. later, but I think I'd like to jump into it now, because, uh, or at least part of it, because there was a game that was displayed there called Before I Forget. Yes. Did you get a chance to play that? I did, yes. Yeah. What were your thoughts? Um, I mean, it's in quite an early stage of development, but um, but yeah, that... uh, that kind of exploration of the world and discovering that... So for the people who don't know, it's um, it's dealing with Alzheimer's, right? I, I believe it might have been dementia. Dementia, but, uh, but okay. so So this idea that people... Uh, it, it sort of fits into the title before I forget mm. and sort yeah. of has this woman who starts off. And I thought this was really effective because I'm wearing glasses now. I occasionally wear contacts. Um, but the, the very beginning of that demo starts mm. off with your... It's very blurry. Yeah. And you're pick, trying to find a pair of glasses, and you have to pick them out to be able to see. And I can't yes. tell you the number of times that I've had to do that. <laughs> uh, because it's just the silliest thing, because you're, you're, you're looking around. Of course, you need, you're, you're, you need to be able to see to find your glasses, which allow you to see. So it's just this weird conundrum that yeah. starts off the experience. And um, again, it, as it is very early, I think that there were some things that they did that were really effective, that I thought were really powerful. Um, so there was uh, sort of as you go through these different rooms in this short experience, did you notice that they had sort of like color spreading yes. out a little bit more? Yeah, I thought so, that was really well done. Just kind of made you feel, well, like you were remembering that world. So you go into this room and it's it's all just lines and it's a bit vague. You're not sure what's going on. And then suddenly you'll you'll find an object that will trigger that memory and things will come into focus and color yeah yeah it's a great way of exploring it's really that cool feeling. yeah yeah I'm, I'm excited to see how that uh that that comes along so i'll also uh post a link to the games that we talk about uh in the show notes afterwards yeah, uh, yeah. so if anybody's interested in learning more about the games we talk about i'll try to my best to have a list so 
Um, cool. I had a great chat with um, Shella and Claire. Who they're great. The, yeah, the devs for that as well. So they're, they're worth uh, looking into. Yeah, they definitely are. I believe they're, uh, the name of their company is Threefold Games. That's it, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's definitely, definitely worth looking out. So, um, cool. Uh, ben, have you been playing any games recently that you'd like to chat with us about? I've not been playing much recently. The only thing I got, I mean, I've been uh, working my way through Mario Odyssey, which I'm sure you've got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, which is good, and I'm at the point now where I'm just kind of not joylessly. It's still wonderful, but just going for power moons now. Yeah, every single one. Yeah, <laughs> every second that I have spare. <laughs> so, so, so I, I I chatted with you about this before. There's there's a sequence, and 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 I'll ashamedly admit this is how I've been de-stressing is playing Mario Odyssey as well. Yeah. So it's definitely one of the things that I've been playing. But I've managed to collect all the power moons, mm-hmm. and that one that I told you was impossible is yeah. totally doable. Okay. However, it's really <laughs> difficult. So there's there's a sequence late in the game where I, I'm only halfway through this. And I yeah, I've not played it at all. Okay. So no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> to be clear, uh, no spoilers. There there is a a world that opens up mm-hmm. with a series of difficult challenges. And this happens a lot end game or late game in a lot of the more recent 3D Mario games where you'll sort of have levels that are much more difficult that play upon skills that you could use in the main game, but you don't have to. Uh, like Mario Sunshine in the levels where you uh, don't have your uh, flat back. Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. So it's much more platforming or skill-based challenges and stuff like that. And there's a room where in order to get a power moon, you have to do a series of long jumps over and over and over again. And you have to do like 12 of them. And it took me probably more time than I'd like to admit <laughs> to actually get through this sequence, uh, but I managed to, 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 to take care of that, and that was the last moon I needed to get. So now it's 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 done, but... but uh, you're 100% done with the game now? Uh, no, because you can continue to sort of collect coins to get extra costumes and stuff like that. Yeah, okay, but like you've got all 600 all the, or something moons in the game. Yeah, I've okay. got all the... I'll say, and I spent all the coins that I had to get 999 moons, so... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So at any rate, Mario wow. Odyssey is 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 spectacular. It's a joyous experience. It's it's really interesting, and I think sort of like one of the big takeaways um, uh, was that there's always something interesting to do in the game, uh, where every sort of like part of the level is designed to the fact that like even if there's a small little corner, there's usually something hiding in it. There's never anywhere in the world that doesn't have a reason to be there. And I think that that's the most effective part of that design. Um, and, and something that was really inspiring, and I think I actually sort of came and talked to uh, some of the people in, in, a, in a group. So last week's podcast, it was about two minutes long. I was working with Ben on a VR project. Mm-hmm. And we were building a prototype. So we were basically hiding in this church, which is sort of a building that we have access to on campus, uh, trying to get this prototype done. So uh, with that said, I, I had been thinking a lot about the way that Super Mario Odyssey works when I started thinking about, okay, well, how do we work on this project that we have uh, that's due in a few weeks' time? And it's like, well, we had this really interesting narrative or idea for this virtual reality game that we wanted to make for our class project. And it's like, okay, well is that really going to work? And I started thinking, okay, well, I've been playing Mario Odyssey. There's always something really interesting to do. And the way that we originally sort of designed this virtual reality experience was that it was a very linear sort of narrative that had a series of puzzle rooms, right? But there was always only one thing to do in the room. Mm -hmm. But that's a lot less interesting than, say, for example, having something everywhere that you can do something with. And and sort of like, I don't know how that mental connection ended up happening, but... Mm -hmm. I hope that really sort of helps us sort of make something really interesting. So, mm. um, so yeah, I, I, I've, I've 
absolutely love Mario Odyssey. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's good. So actually, with that VR thing, uh, the the devs of uh, Job Simulator had a similar thing. They had a much smaller dev time that they planned to make that game, but they found that's out. That's usual. Yeah, <laughs> well, as every time. But they 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 started playtesting it, and they just said, and I think it's the same with everything with kind of game devs. But they said every single time someone tried to do something that they couldn't do. And it said it at least like quadrupled the whole dev time because they just had to make every single thing interactable in some way, even if it's you know, like to pull apart. Yeah. You, were, you you were saying there's a trumpet in this game, and you said you wanted to be able to put it together but then pull it apart. Yeah. And my heart just dropped and I was like, yeah. oh gee, that's well, really. <laughs> it's 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 a, again it's a nice to have. So we we yeah. did our first sort of like live play test in our class last week and. Um, someone was basically sitting there, and it, it's a very basic prototype. It's got these four kind of circular objects that sort of put together and look kind of like a trumpet. And when you hold it up to your mouth, it plays a little song that we've got. And one of the people that had been playtesting the experience tried to pull the trumpet apart. And I'm sitting there going, oh, well, that's awesome. Like, I mean, that would be, but again, sort of like, it's a difficult problem to solve. And mm-hmm. whether or not that is something that we need to solve is something we have to decide. So, um, have you had a chance, Natalie, to play any virtual reality uh, stuff, or is that sort of not something you've had a chance yet? Um, not really. I uh, did a little demo at EGX. I got to play Skyrim on okay. uh, PlayStation <laughs> VR, which I guess is, you know, it's a, its own experience, kind of different to what you might be focused on yeah. with VR. But uh, no, I very much enjoyed it. I yeah. uh, scared the, the guy showing me the demo a little bit, I think, flailing my arms around yeah. trying to hit the dragon with <laughs> yeah, my sword, but... <laughs> did, you, did you use the move controllers or the, the yes. PlayStation controller? It was, it was the um, the sticks, yeah. the balls on top, yeah, the, uh, the move controllers. Um, one in each hand. They'd actually disabled the push forwards to walk option, okay. but I think in the, the final, because it was just a demo version, but in the final release version, I think you can move around, but we were just kind of doing point and click um, yeah. to move around. Uh, right. Which kind of worked all right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I, I, I've actually had a chance to play about 45 minutes of that. Uh, yeah. So I have a PlayStation VR at home. So we've um, sort of, uh, a few of us have sort of sat down and tried to play Resident Evil 7 for a little bit. And mm-hmm. then now I've got Skyrim and I haven't had a chance to play with anybody else yet. Uh, but my experiences with that thus far have been really cool. And again, it's yeah. something that's not designed for the ground up for VR, but I think that translates really well. And maybe that's just because I've been imagining wanting to play this in virtual reality for a long time. <laughs> but at the same time, I thought it was a really cool experience to sort of be able to have that sense of presence mm-hmm. uh, or, or sense of what's called place illusion, the, the illusion that you are in somewhere uh, while you know that you are not actually there. Especially uh, for a world that's so um, immersive and detailed as yeah. Skyrim. Like people have spent thousands of hours in that game yeah. just, just wandering around. Yeah, uh, and in fact, that that was a bit of um, kind of chill time for me. At one point, when I was really into Skyrim, sometimes I'd just log on for half an hour and go for a walk in the woods. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, but um, but I think what worked for me as well was I think with, with some games where you might be running around with a gun, it you know that that's one challenge. But the with Skyrim, if you're going around with your your sword and shield, it's that actual visceral experience of swinging your arm. Yeah. And, yeah you might not actually make contact with with the drug, but that kind of, you properly get into it, yeah. move uh, around. And, there have yeah. been some uh, development efforts towards uh, getting more interesting um, feedback uh, system going when you're sw- swinging uh, swords mm. and crap around in uh, VR. I think, um, do you guys know Neil Stevenson? Yeah. The author? 
Yeah, yeah uh, author of Snow Crash, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. of uh, Snow Crash. I kickstarted a project of his a few years ago uh, to make like uh, a more or less realistic sword fighting uh, game using motion controls that could then be done in VR and all. Oh, of cool. course, it's a Kickstarter, so the whole thing went tits up. And uh, it was oh, really controversial, wasn't it? Like people were furious because it was a, a huge. He got loads of money. And yeah, he did about two years, Devin, and he was like. No, I didn't work. People de uh, didn't realize <laughs> it was a fairly early uh, Kickstarter project that it, there's a good chance it won't actually materialize in a pro into a product. This is indeed what happened. So. Yeah. But he had like Valve's Gabe Newell in the Kickstarter video oh, kind wow. of doing it. So everyone was just like, this is important. How long ago was this? Like two years ago. Two oh, years, wow. Something like this. So yeah, but it never came about. And people, I think all, everyone just wanted, they said, look, if you're not gonna do anything with it, just give us the source code, at least share that, you know. Yeah, yeah that would have been nice. Then that would have been nice, but nah, yeah. unfortunately not. So. Wow, that's wild. I, have, has anybody here had any experiences with actually funding a Kickstarter other than uh, the one that you mentioned there? Yeah, uh, for me, uh, I've been doing Kickstarter stuff for quite a while, which yeah. mainly means that I'm paying way too much for games that are still in development and they might materialize somewhere down the line, Yeah, which is nice. Um, I've also been uh, privy to uh, some of the few big uh, early Kickstarter successes for webcomics oh, cool. that I was following. Yeah, um, some of those people really got screwed over by yeah, getting wildly successful Kickstarters and getting a million bucks and then realizing, wait, all the additional stretch goals I made actually mean that now I have five years worth of work uh, to do and not enough money to actually afford to do all of yeah. that mm -hmm. crap. Uh, like Kickstarter was kind of cool to uh, notice uh, in its infancy. Now it's basically a pre-order system. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's something to be said. Board games, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like the, you, Ben, um, I, I don't think we've actually talked about this on the podcast, but uh, very early on in the course, one of the first social things we all did together was play a board game that Ben had kickstarted. Yeah. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about that? I had a lot of fun playing that, uh, but it was very difficult to get into at first. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. So it's a game by um, Don Eskridge, who did games such as Avalon. Uh, I can't remember what else he's done, but you know, he, he kind of takes... Um, with the board games he makes, there's always kind of some kind of scheming or kind of uh, backstabbing in a way. Um, and with Avalon, what it was is a really simple game and you're either kind of on the side of wanting quests to win or to lose. And it's based off another game called like Werewolf, which is really common. Yeah. Where, you know, Mafia, only, Werewolf. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the kind of villains of the board game know each other, but no one else knows each other. Um, and so he's made another game uh, that I kickstarted about three years ago, completely forgot about it, and then it just turned up, and that's called Abandoned Planet. And it's a board game whereby you are stranded on a planet that is about to be hit by a meteor, I think, yeah. and you have to work together to build a ship. But So you have to leave with someone else. So it's about finding the person you're going to leave with, and you try and make kind of alliances, but you might be making another alliance behind their back and, and you know... Yeah, I don't know why. I think it's because they really constrain the amount of resources you can keep at any one time. But I thought that idea, sort of like that idea of um, collaborate, collaborating yeah. or deciding not to was really cool. I think one of the very first exercises we did in class, um, and it's the sort of image that is the podcast logo for now until we get something a little bit different, mm -hmm. but you'll see sort of this... this uh, 
non-generic amusement park in space kind of idea. And the idea was sort of going around this board uh, because you're some space kids and your space parents left you behind. And the idea was to get to this ice cream thing with enough money to be able to pay for the ice cream. Mm -hmm. Um, But I took that idea from playing that game. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, oh, well, I really like that. So if you get to the ice cream parlor, as long as you've got enough money, you can buy it with somebody else. And I thought that was kind of cool. So, like, I like this idea. Or I really enjoy collaborative games. Uh, Has anybody uh, here played Forbidden, uh, or uh, what's it called? Forbidden Um, Desert. Yes, 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 yeah. That I'd love that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's oh, they've it, got the island and, and yeah, the and the desert. And um, I think the island was the one that I played first. Mm-hmm. But um, that was just great. The desert works a little bit better. I think they you refined think, it. The desert. Uh, what 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 about desert did you like a little bit better? Um, but I don't know. It's quite hard to answer. It's. I mean, it's been a little while since I've played. Yeah, games, same here. I just remember the experience of playing desert felt more fun but more complex yeah. than playing island i you know again i don't want to sort of say specifics because it's been a while since i played that that as well so to sort of maybe contextualize this for people that are listening both of these games are collaborative games where the object is essentially to collect a set of objects in order to escape a place that's falling apart so this island is either sinking or is this a tabletop it is a tabletop Tabletop, game Uh, and it's quite a lot of fun i've actually got a ipad version on my ipad Mm -hmm. here uh in case anybody wants to play it and maybe later after the podcast or something like that but uh so so what's really cool about that is um again you're getting people to work together and you've got a common goal that is essentially the board game that you're working against um and my memory or my recollection of desert is it is a slightly bigger board with more variation. Um, and, and for me, I thought that was interesting as well. I thought Island works really well as a contained experience and works a little bit better for me with less people, Mm. but desert I think was great. And if I had the choice and the number of people there to make that experience work, um, I would, I would go with desert for sure. Although if I had, if I had four people and was choosing a cooperative game, I'd go pandemic instead, but uh, (laughs) I haven't played that yet. Have you not? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. That's a whole experience just waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah, I played for the first time a few weeks, uh, weeks ago and it's beautiful. It, Co-op board games haven't really been a thing except for tabletop or playing type uh, stuff till pandemic hit. If you're interested in co-op, you absolutely need to check that out. And once you've played a few games of pandemic, then get a gang together and get Pandemic Legacy. Oh, yeah. It's okay. the same thing as Risk Legacy yes. in the sense of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it introduces permanency. So you basically uh, can play uh, customized rounds of Pandemic for about eight games total, and then you run out of uh, stuff to do, and you have constructed a customized board for more generic uh, Pandemic uh, games. But yeah, it's cool. Can, can um, I ask, has anyone managed to start a, um, uh, what was it, Risk Legacy? Is it Legacy? A Legacy game. Yeah. A Legacy game over Risk or Thing and seen it all the way through to the end. Oh, yeah. You've yeah, done yeah. that? Yeah, me, me and my friends, we played Pandemic Legacy through to the end. Our games ran to about uh, 16 or 17, I think. With Pandemic Legacy, you play one game per month in the game world. So you can yeah. play 12 games, so one game per month. Yeah. But if you lose a game, you get a chance to play that month again. So it could be between 12 and 24 games. Total. Oh, that's cool. So I think ours ran to about 16, 17 games. And Pandemic Legacy 2 has just come out. And so we've just oh, started geez. playing that as well. Oh, how that's fantastic. You, how did you manage with like, did you have any problems where friends where they were just like, I just don't have time? Or did you just have a really kind of focused group of friends? And they no, were like, we, it, it took us a long time. Like yeah. the friends that we played it with had a baby 
oh, wow. throughout the process of yeah. that. We had to we had to plan our games around um, her obviously her her pregnancy, but then also she had the baby, and then we had to kind of plan around. Yeah. Well, they've got this baby now, so yeah. you know, can they come to us? Yeah. Is the baby going to be quiet for long enough? Or, or, right. Yeah, sleep. Come on. Yeah. Quick, quick. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. But great experience. Oh, that's exciting. And it will challenge all your board game nerd um, ideas as well, because you have to tear cards up and write on the board, and it's yeah. very stressful. Permanency. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a really cool concept. And your characters could die. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I mean, like, it's just, it's nice to sort of see interacting with those types of systems yeah. in a way that you wouldn't expect. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's fantastic that something has real consequence mm. um, because I think that's an idea that is explored less often than we expect. So What, what I found interesting on that, um, a few weeks ago I was with some friends, they had apparently gotten into uh, board games during my uh, UK absence and uh, <laughs> they showed me Pandemic and they were all talking about how super innovative this is in the board game space because you're cooperating and tearing stuff up and I'm just going, yeah. Because most of my board game experience has been from playing Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, similar yeah. type of stuff growing up there, you know, co-op is kind of the name of the game. Yeah. Permanency, yeah, that yeah. happens. You roll poorly, you whop, your character just got eaten by a tiger. Yeah. We're not even at the zoo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, but it's kind of cool how all these uh, different uh, genres of games are kind of like rediscovering uh, elements from well, each other and yeah. incorporating them into their own uh, spaces. And it's kind of cool how you see that with board games, but you also see uh, indie, uh, indie games uh, innovate in spaces that AAA games then, you know, take those innovations and actually earn a living off them, uh, stuff like that. But it's cool how games are all stealing and copying and... Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think sort of like, I mean, that, that that's very evocative of sort of some of the things that we've been talking about recently in terms of sharing of ideas and how important that is. And I think that's awesome because creating a cool idea, whether or not sort of a larger company sort of takes that and runs with it and makes a living off of it, you're still putting that idea out into the world, hmm? you know, and you're, you're, you're still creating something incredible. I think I was having a conversation with somebody a few days ago about this idea that, um, yeah, uh, one of our classmates, uh, Jade, uh, went to a game jam recently, um, and I'd love to get her uh, on here to sort of speak about that, but uh, when I had been talking to her about that, she was just so excited about this idea that she had gone from having nothing to eight hours later having something, and the game is incredible. Um, again, sort of what we'll do sort of in the show notes, if we've got a live version of this at any point and we've got permission to share it, I'll post a link. Because uh, it's it's a really cool experience that I don't want to ruin. It's built off of Twine, which is a interactive fiction uh, sort of authoring software uh, that Raymond uh, has uh, actually been sort of talking a lot about recently. And um, yeah, if, if you wanted to sort of tell people about that a bit, um, uh, yeah, Twine. Uh, Twine is basically a very uh, simple to use interactive fiction uh, uh, editor. Uh, it's probably the quickest way to get like a story experience across. It's um, if you can write words and occasionally put brackets or parentheses around the words, you can make a, uh, you can make a game. Um, and the cool thing about Twine is that about five years ago or so, 2012, 2013 or so, there was this big uh, indie games uh, renaissance where uh, small authors were discovering uh, Twine and using it to make like very personal narratives. And you kind of got like a lot of uh, uh, queer history uh, coming up, a lot of personal narratives 
a bunch of games from that time period are I think uh, conversations with my mother um, games about uh, people uh, talking about their sexuality about uh, uh, child uh, child abuse just these very uh, small personal things often done by a single independent uh, author yeah and uh, well Twine has kind of dropped out of the spotlight a little bit a uh, bit again which is a bit of a shame uh, there are other tools and uh, now but Twine is still a very good tool for getting um, interactive experience across with very little uh, requirements yeah. in the way of assets or coding experience or this and that um, yeah, so I've been teaching these guys a little bit on how to use uh, Twine and yeah. uh, they've been surprising me with how uh, decent uh, it has been, so... It was such a cool experience to be able to sort of say, again, sort of take, I've got nothing and now I have something. Like, I mean, sort of... Uh, yeah, in, in 10 minutes, you guys yeah. made a game. It was a yeah. shitty game, it was still a game. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that was that was kind of I've never written anything before, and I was really really scared just kind of sitting down to that workshop when I knew that you were going to just make us write something on a piece <laughs> of paper. But yeah, no, it was it was awesome. It was a really supportive workshop, and everyone did something pretty good. Yeah, and, yeah. I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so not to leave you hanging here because uh, we haven't talked about the games that you've been playing yet, Raymond. Would you mind sharing just if you've uh, had uh, a good experience recently? Yeah, sure. So Super Mario Odyssey is the thing. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, now I've been uh, rather busy uh, the past uh, weeks and redoing most of my gaming uh, setup. So it's mostly been Mario Odyssey and a bit of messing around with uh, old board games. Uh, okay. I've been looking over Flash Duel by David Serling quite a bit. Uh, I wish I had a copy here I could show you guys, but it's basically a take on uh, On Guard, uh, which is another way older uh, board uh, game. Basically, there are two uh, two players, and they start at opposite ends of the arena, which is like uh, 15 squares long or something. And they have uh, movement uh, cards uh, that are drawn every uh, every round, and they use those cards both to um, move around the board. Uh, it's a 2D board, uh, so you move forward or backward, and to attack the opponent, and they can then reply in certain ways. Now what's interesting is that this game has basically been made by someone who's really big in the Street Fighter community. Oh, and cool. it's basically a 2D fighter in board game uh, format. So what uh, you end up having is um, two, uh, two players are going back and forth really quick trying to um, position, each, uh, position properly to launch a particular attack at uh, the other in such a way that they you can't defend against uh, it. And it's a really cool example of asymmetrical gameplay because every uh, player actually picks from uh, a set of 20 or so characters which all have different uh, abilities they can use, different ways to modify their, uh, their movements, different attacks they can uh, unleash, all that. So you end up with these really quick, really exciting uh, games of uh, just jockeying for position and uh, managing uh, to get a single attack uh, to hit and it's this Super tight, super um, interesting uh, uh, experience, really. And I really need to drag into glass and show you guys at some point. But yeah, yeah, no, that would be great. It's 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 really interesting. I think yeah. sort of what's what's cool is sort of all the games that we've been talking about here today. Uh, deal with sort of this term that I, I, I really enjoyed uh, from one of the guest lectures that we had last week in one of our classes, uh, Professor uh, Madahagis, uh, who's created a game called Fragments of Him. Uh, sort of talk about this idea of a compelling experience. 
And a lot of these don't necessarily, a lot of the experiences we've been talking about sort of range everywhere from fun to really not fun at all. Um, and uh, sort of deal with difficult subjects in a way that is compelling. And I, I think that that is incredible. And it's really a big part of why I'm doing this as well. So, um, yeah, cool. so something, uh, not to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're good. Something I've uh, been finding interesting on uh, a lot of the dialogue that's been surrounding indie games and games as art and uh, uh, like uh, Matahar's, uh, I forgot his name, um, that guy's uh, lecture is that uh, it seems that games are only treated seriously as, you know, an art form uh, if they're going into personal spaces. So uh, when a game is actually saying something personal, uh, so either by a single author, as in the case of Twine uh, Games, or as a collaborative uh, effort by a uh, development, development team, as in fragments of him, yeah. unless it's telling a personal story, it's not being treated as an art form. And that's, I'm not sure how yeah, much, it. Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah. I personally think that's bullshit as well. And it, it but, still comes from the, the media yeah. hasn't quite caught up with the games industry because it's still treated when talking about it, writing about it, as if it's still something that teenage boys do. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's, you know, it, these stereotypes are still here. Um, I still get surprised looks from people when I tell them I'm a gamer, and I'm like, yeah. "Come on, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what year are we in?" Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, but I mean, obviously, games has a great. There's a lot of great games media going around. There's a lot of great writing about games. There's lots of great outlets that write about games. It's the media for non-gamers that still considers gaming to be. Right. This this problematic teenage boy thing. Yeah, uh, but then you do also move into um, say triple A triple uh, A games. Uh, there are a lot of really cool triple A games mm. out there. Mario Odyssey, beautiful uh, game. Uh, let's look at a more story driven uh, thing like Assassin's Creed, for example. It's a yeah. complete work of art. Absolutely uh, beautiful, yeah. but it is getting shit on by the gaming press uh, as well. It's getting uh, a lot of uh, crap. Uh, from a lot of different uh, angles, because a lot of the stories it's uh, that are being told in AAA spaces aren't um, relatable on a personal uh, level in a way that a lot of these smaller uh, games tend to be. I think that's kind of why indie games have mm -hmm. kind of managed to carve out a little bit of a niche within the art uh, mm -hmm. world, because it's easier to think of a personal tale as being a work of art, as opposed to something like Assassin's Creed, where you know, there's a million hours of man labor in that. It's beautiful, it's right. amazing, but yeah, no, we don't see this as art because it's uh, not saying anything about the author. Maybe there's something yeah. to be said about, so we're, we're kind of in the industry, as it were. Like, I can play a game and I will notice the voiceover, I will notice the mocap work, yeah. mm -hmm. and I can appreciate the hard work and the labor that's gone into that. You guys are studying games, you're making your own games, you can appreciate exactly how long it took to get that character to do that movement or you know or, or how long it might have taken people to round table to figure out this is how this is the mechanic that we're going to make so maybe maybe that's it maybe some of the larger games are so good at doing that that the layman don't notice and then don't appreciate the man hours and then you don't get any critical uh, appreciation and <laughs> it's not seen as art and it's this whole cycle of crap yeah. <laughs> well, do you think that to some degree that that has to do with the lens or the way that games are presented in most 
uh, sort of media and society. Sort of like when uh, when you were saying earlier, sort of games are seen as this thing that teenage boys do. How do you think we get out of that cycle? How do we break that? Uh, cool. And with that absolutely heavy question, uh, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be back shortly, guys. Thank you so much. Alrighty, so uh, we've had a bit of a seat change there, so sorry to leave that on a cliffhanger. Uh, we've got Dummy uh, joining us here uh, in place of Raymond, who had to take off at a very interesting question. So uh, what we were talking about before the break was this idea that games are viewed through this lens in the media that they're just played by teenage boys. So I really wanted to sort of say, sit down and have a bit of a conversation before we jump into uh, some of the other things that we had planned on talking about, because this is a really important idea. How do we combat this idea uh, that um, this, this idea of sort of like toxic masculinity and sort of like power structures in games, uh, what tools do we have as developers uh, and as actors uh, to combat that idea? Um, because I think we're in a unique position to sort of give voice uh, to uh, other people. Um, you know, like, and again, sort of like speaking as someone who is definitely part of the status quo, mm -hmm. I think it's important for us to realize that there are other ideas out there. And, and in fact, it's critical uh, to our success, not just as uh, creators, but as people. So, um, yeah, does anybody have any thoughts as far as like... And I would just like to step on that with, I do think it is changing. Yeah, like, it is. I think Absolutely. It's definitely getting so, so much better. Yeah. Um, like we're not in the position that we were five, ten years it's ago. It's not 1995. No. Yeah. But the, there's, still, there's still elements of that there. Um, I don't know in terms of, from a development point of view or an actor's point of view, but I think in terms of just a person who enjoys playing games point of view is yeah. just to keep talking about them in a positive way yeah. and, you know, encouraging people to play with you, encouraging your friends, find good social games that are great to play with your friends, like the board games we were talking about, obviously are an excellent example. And obviously there are video games as well. Like, um, I don't know about Mario Odyssey, but there's, there's loads of the, the new games on the switch that are incredibly social. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's one out there. I think a lot can be uh, done in the marketing front yeah definitely and um, the press as well and, yeah definitely. press and marketing I think covered. have a lot of work to do mm. so I wonder then sort of like is that a point where uh, we have an opportunity to sort of talk to people about the way that they're just as readers or as game players mm. like how we would like the things that we consume to be presented because I feel like our viewpoints aren't necessarily as represented there's just a very vocal hopefully minority of people mm. that feel like games should be a certain way mm -hmm. um but I think that games are so much more than that. Uh, I think they really are. Like, we're talking about this idea of games as art, and we're still having this conversation for a long time. Things have improved significantly, uh, but I do think that there's still a long way to go. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what's so amazing about having a medium like this, is that we are in a position in time in which we can be really influential. Um, I think that there's a thing as well with, uh, and I might be wrong, because I've only kind of just come into contact with it, but with the indie game community, you have these fantastic events that they put on uh, where they get series of kind of games that are in development and stuff like that and they show them to the public. And they're, they're open and obviously if anyone looks for them, they can find them. But I think that those events, if you could find a way to open them up and just expand them to much larger audiences, 
that would be a great way to draw people in. Because at the moment, there's a feeling whereby those events like Wild Rumpus, although they've not done one in London for a while, yeah. um, you have to look for them. And usually you find out about them in the same circles. Yeah. Uh, and yet they might get like a write-up and timeout or something like that. But if they could kind of come much more into the public consciousness, yeah. I think that'd be a fantastic way to kind of... Because I think you still have to put a lot of effort into finding these smaller experiences. Sure. Um, I think sometimes they get little bits of press. Uh, like a games uh, critic might, you know, write a review on them in, in quite a big publication and stuff, but it's easy to get lost right. amongst everything else. Well, again, sort of like, I, to be clear, this isn't a, uh, a question that I assumed that we would have an answer to. Because <laughs> yeah. In five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even, even, you know, it's, it's, it's a process. And again, sort of like, I think you really eloquently put that, Natalie, when you said having those conversations are so important. And making sure that we are still talking about this because as soon as we let that go, uh, the conversation stops and things stop developing. Um, and I think that that's the, something that I'm going to take away and sort of say, well, you know, in the opportunities that I have to talk with people that sort of asking what it is that I'm doing and may not be as familiar, um, sometimes that passion can really be evident or you're able to sort of describe and discuss and sort of open that conversation with outside uh, audiences. Um, mm. And as games are a, a incredibly popular medium now, uh, it's not, again, uh, as, as we were talking about earlier, it's not 1995 anymore. There are a huge number of people that play games. Mm. And I think that that expectation is sort of hopefully going away that there's a, it's very niche. It's not. Mm -hmm. There's, a, I mean, various different studies have done statistics that say, you know, 50%, 52% of gamers are women and whatever, like huge chunk of that are actually women from 35 to 45 or something like that. Um, but you don't hear these kinds of statistics parroted around very often. Yeah. Like a huge percentage of, of gamers are female and they're, they're a little bit older, maybe they've got children. So, you know, you need to start getting that message out there. Yeah, good. Here's, here's a great opportunity to do it. So, so, um, I just had a thought, actually. Maybe hmm. one of the things you guys could do as uh, students who create games is think about the, the other students at Goldsmiths that maybe aren't on the, the games courses, different courses, yeah. and what, could they, what information could you get from them that might be fun to put into a game or, and, and get them involved, I, I don't know, say like a geography game, get some geography students along and yeah. have some connection there and start to build relationships with students that, okay, like a lot of students play games, yeah, mm. but, you know, try and find people that don't or maybe go to the drama department to get some voiceover artists yeah. and get them involved in testing and playtesting the games. Yeah. Go to the drama department and get them involved next time you do a games jam. Yeah. So that's awesome. No, that, that, that's a great idea. I mean, like definitely something that we'll, we'll certainly consider and think about and try to get see if we can make it a reality, in which case we'll announce it or, or whatever. But like, that's awesome. I think I think sort of like we're, we're, we're in a situation where um, we are part of an incredible community and it's something that we should utilize when we mm. can. Uh, I mean, like th these these kinds of opportunities only come a few times during your life. Um, so having the chance to sort of say, okay, well, we've got a lot of really spectacularly intelligent people mm. from different backgrounds. Um, I mean, I, I, I've only gotten a chance to meet a few people from other groups or other societies, uh, mostly during the, the sort of international welcome week because I'm an international mm -hmm. student. So I got to meet some people that were in sort of like the film department and uh, oddly enough, some finance and some sort of creative art areas. So like, I mean, I, I suppose I gravitate to certain areas, I suppose. But uh, with that said, um, 
there are a lot of incredibly interesting people here, not just sort of you know, you building that community and sort of bringing people in, uh, I think is a really good way to sort of like increase the number of things that we're talking about, thinking about, and sort of potentially discussing, and sort of a way for us to grow. So that's awesome. Thank you for that. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, um, not to sort of break things down here, so just to transition a bit uh, from this very heavy topic, uh, very important topic, uh, I did want to give a chance to sort of like uh, talk to Natalie about what her experience is like actually recording for games. Mm -hmm. So, um, because I think it's one of the things that I don't really know a whole lot about. I have an idea in my head of what it might be like, and I know I recorded a line of dialogue for this VR project using my phone. So it's not really a sit-down experience. Um, uh, so I'd love to know, uh, sort of, uh, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing sort of like uh, if there's a game that you were particularly excited about making, or maybe not, an experience that you hated, uh, what advice can you give us uh, as far as like when we're making games mm -hmm. um, to sort of interact with, with voiceover? So, uh, okay. I, I, yeah, I, I may have rambled way too much there, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think, um, so if you're bringing a voiceover artist in, it's because you have a game that has a character yeah. that's an important character. You yeah. know, if, you, if you're spending the money to give them a voice, that character has something to say. So having a really clear idea of who that character is for you and then translating that into something that the voiceover artist understands, that's the trick to it. And most of the time, um, as voiceover artists, uh, game developers will provide us with like a, a PDF sheet. So we'll get, apart from the lines, we'll also get um, some game art, if possible, of the character that is invaluable. Picture says a thousand words. Um, and really gives you a sense of who this person is, how they dress, how they stand, um, how they kind of, whether they would look you directly in the eye, or mm. maybe, maybe they're kind of like a little shyer, or, you know, the attitude, the, the, the costume, the background of this person. Um, and then a little written description uh, as well. Um, sometimes we'll get given um, uh, different touch, touch points, like, actors so oh we really liked this actor's performance in this and then we but we don't want it exactly like that but we also like this actor's performance in this so maybe somewhere in between those is great um or cultural touch points say uh the game is in the 80s so you really want this person to have that kind of uh, you, you're going for this retro arcadey vibe so mm. you you want this person to check out some videos of street fighter or you know that kind yeah. of thing um, all of the, as much information like that as possible will get the best performance out of your actor. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I so in terms of the games I've done, um, I've done uh, Fractured Space, which is a MOBA uh, in, in Spaceships, and I do the um, the voice of Coda, who's kind of the training computer for mm. that. Um, and I mean, an AI voice is much much simpler. Like it's just kind of do you have a, a good voice? Can you repeat the lines in that right. kind of slightly mechanical kind of way? And obviously then they just put a load of uh, after effects on it. Um, doesn't necessarily require as much character depth. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the other one that I did was um, a character called Noemi Laporte in uh, a game called Blue Planet War in Heaven. And I'm going to get this wrong. Um, but it was using... I want to say planet... No, either free space or planet side. Oh, 
God, I really should have reminded myself of this before I came on. Uh, but the engine from that game, which is an older game, uh, and they used that engine to create their own game. Okay. And that, so this, this was an indie, indie game, uh, and then they got, got me in. So they gave me um, a little bit of information, but from the lines, I really got like a, a Mass Effect kind of vibe. It was, okay. uh, it was very emotional. Um, the, there was uh, a lot of drama happening with the characters. So I was able to kind of work with it. But, um, but the more I've been um, working with people who work on games and seeing the kinds of scripts that, that you get, yeah, all of these character descriptions and character art, that's, that's really what we're, we're after. And uh, just talking with you guys... To, as well to uh, to get a sense of them. Do you, do you have a preference if you if you get take, uh, brought into a game? Whether would you would you prefer a more kind of complete character character description, or would you like there to be some leeway for you to develop the character? Would you like some um, space to kind of? I mean, I personally would always love a little bit of leeway to yeah. to play with the character and really make them my own. I mean, I'd, I'd love playing with characters yeah. and something. But if you have a really specific idea of what you want mm. in your head, then that is what you want. Yeah. And an actor could be really great, but if they are not that, then they'll understand okay. if you hire someone else. Yeah. You know? And do you, have you had experiences where you've had a frustratingly small amount of detail and you're like, this is too, this is too vague? Not yet, but I would like to caveat that with, again, I'm yeah. quite near the start of my, uh, my career as well. So, you know, I, I've you not could. had a so bad, bad experience I was wondering here. as well, do you have like any visual representation while you're talking or, just, or do you just like talk without any display? So when you're in the studio, usually um, we'll, we'll have the lines on either an iPad or a screen with, with games voiceovers there tends to be far too many lines to bother printing out like yeah. don't print them out on paper save the planet <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think generally the norm is just to have the lines up there and you might have the context that the line is said so you might mm. have so you, in, a, in a nice table you have the character name the the kind of the, the mood direction and then the line if you're being very kind to us, you'll give us the context of the conversation yeah. and what the line before ours was, was. So we get kind of a sense of what is actually happening here. Because usually with video game voiceovers, you only have one actor in the studio at the same time. Okay. It's a very, very expensive process, but that's the, that's the way it's done. Um, you don't get to have the other actor there to act with. So if we can have as much information about the conversation as possible, then great. Um, as you move forward in your careers, you might work for much bigger games companies who get very antsy about releasing information about games, which mm. is, uh, if you know anything about um, SAG-AFTRA, they've had this huge strike over in yeah. America recently. Um, and that was, was a minor part of it, but one of the things was you had all these actors going into doing um, video games jobs and they didn't know really who they were playing, what the game was, what it was about or anything until they got into the studio because studio execs were so worried that information would be shared or leaked. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's tricky. That's something that they were fighting for actors to actually know what they're going to be doing. Um, it's my understanding that they've come to a resolution on that. Is they that correct? have. It's not... Um, it's not perfect. People aren't yeah. particularly happy, but it is it is a resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does that have any effect on the work that you do here? 
Um, in terms of the British industry, uh, I mean, it's not affected me personally, but I do know that a lot of the larger companies came over here to find voice talent for that period. Okay. So ethically, it was a bit of a... Yeah. We did get messages sent around to different agencies, different artists being like, look, the sag after strike has sent games companies over here to find talent. Just so you know, like we can't tell you not to take on the work, but if you're offered the work, go into it understanding that someone else has had a strike because and yeah. this right. has sent the work this way. Right. You know, so you might be undermining that strike a little bit by taking that work. And that puts you in a really difficult position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, it didn't affect me, uh, but for someone at the start of their career, there's this there's this big problem with uh, voiceover artists starting out. Like, do you take on the work for free and undermine the industry, but to get the credits, to get you acknowledged and recognised and build up that reputation, right. to get to the point where you can charge the actual wages for a voiceover artist, which are not cheap. Right. But then again, studio time isn't cheap. And if you're getting sporadic jobs, then, you know, you need to... You, you need to make money. Yeah. Ultimately, you need to live. So you yeah. can't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that job for 50 quid because it might be the only job you get that year. Yeah. I mean, that's not necessarily the studio uh, developer's well, I mean, problem, it's, but, you know. It's, 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 a, it's a completely different sort of process for getting paychecks. And so my, my brother's yeah. a performer. So mm. he uh, constantly sort of describes, because most of my professional career up to this point has been pretty steady, mm. you know, at least while I've been sort of like steadily employed. But like, I mean, that's paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, and everything's very regular and regulated. Versus, say, for example, his experiences that he's talked to me about uh, where, you know, he'll have a, a, a show that he's working on, or, uh, you know, and he'll be a part of that production for six weeks. Mm-hmm. So he's got paid for six weeks and then he'll sometimes take up a gig on the side or whatever. And like it, it, the the pressure um, sort of like the sort of like outside pressure that he has for not being 100 percent certain uh, has always sort of been something that. I don't know. Like, I mean, I would feel would be very difficult to sort of work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a different type of experience there as well. Yeah. So, um, oh, cool. So um, uh, let's see. Uh, I, I, I guess another question that I have for you as well, Natalie, is mm-hmm. um, when you're in the recording studio, you said sort of the lines themselves, uh, you usually get them on an iPad and sometimes you'll get contacts of the line before. Do you get the lines in a linear fashion or is it all just sort of like, hey, we've got a series of lines and you just read them? Um, it entirely depends on the game and the studio. Okay. Uh, so, again, it, it depends on the type of game. So if it's a branching dialogue game, it's impossible because it's not linear. Exactly. Uh, so obviously the conversation itself, the scene will be generally linear and then you'll do the other scene with the other options yeah. and, and the, the next options, the next options. Um but in terms of recording the whole project, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a film. It's like you record the lines that are ready. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the, uh, the writers of the game, they'll, they'll have an idea of the entire arc of it, but they might not have this scene ready to print, as it were, yet. So yeah. you'll, get, you'll get scene B, and then you'll get scene A after, uh, maybe. So, so do they do sort of like a process, kind of like you do a reshoot in a film or something like that, if they make changes to lines later, oh, or yeah, generally? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one thing I noticed with, um, there's this game, uh, is it Everyone's Gone to Rapture? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
and which has really good voice work. But one of the things that I noticed when I was playing it is that sometimes the intonation in the way people said things from sentence to sentence in a two-person or three-person conversation, you could kind of tell it didn't quite match up. Mm. Huh. Like the the way that you would play off the way someone says something before and the next one. I think they still did a really good job. Yeah. But do they at least give you some idea of the... Because... Yeah, I think it would affect how you would respond mm. to someone. And do they give you any kind of representation of the intonation? Or is it just a description? If, or? if the other actor has recorded that line, they might play that line for you if yeah. you've got time. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they won't. So uh, at Adventure X, we, we can talk about it in a bit, but um, did you go to the voice actors panel? I did. Yeah. So they, they talked about some really interesting things in terms yeah. of like that context where, um, say, for example... Um, they chatted about this idea that generally you're recording lines alone. Yeah. Right. And um, actually, that, that was going to be one of the next questions I asked you mm -hmm. is given the opportunity, would you decide uh, to record in isolation? Oh, no, or with in other a group? people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the rapport that you get from, I mean, you're still, I mean, it's going to be hard to come across in a, in a podcast, but. Uh, if you've got your microphone in front of you, there's still going to be two of you kind of crowding around it. So you're not going to be looking at each other and actually talking mm. because you'll be off mic. Yeah. So the sound will sound weird. Uh, so you both ha have to kind of get your heads close. Or if you're lucky, you'll have individual microphones. Right. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That's much better. Although, there were, so um, one of the studios, OMUK, I know that they're working with headset technology as well. So depending on the game, sometimes they'll have actors with just with headsets you can just stand in the studio room and have a conversation uh, and that that's the most natural thing yeah really. i mean that's similar to the kind of stuff that's used in mocap okay as cool. well, that kind of headset yeah no it's, it's really good to sort of hear that kind of feedback for us sort of looking towards again none of us have booked studio time before mm -hmm. so we're still approaching it's going to be expensive yeah <laughs> I warn you now. <laughs> so we we have been prepared and we are warned. Uh, but it's it, it yeah exactly. It's 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 really good to hear this feedback to know what the ideal is if we can manage to find a way to do yeah. it. If we can't, I think you should always go the like the most professional route that you can do. Mm. But what options does an indie game with a very low budget? You should pay everyone. Mm. Do you know what I mean who's involved yeah, in the yeah, game? Yeah, yeah. But in terms of kind of technical. Uh, have you ever come across interesting ways that people have tried to capture audio and sound and, and voice? on a way that's on an absolute shoestring? Um, no. <laughs> that's not really helpful. But, well, so, the, so the thing is with recording audio equipment, so you've got, um, you've got the big fancy sound studios, uh, you've got companies like OMUK and Side, um, they have their own studios and they're, they're brilliant at what they do, but it's very, very expensive for indie games developers to hire. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go out and get yourself a good quality, like not even an excellent quality microphone, like a, a good kind of middle ground microphone. I use a, a Sennheiser Mark IV in my studio at home. It cost me, uh, I can't remember, it's probably going to be about 150 quid. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you can then get a room soundproof, not soundproof, but treat a room, hmm. that you can record this stuff yourself. Yeah. Because if you get a fair quality microphone in a well-treated room, that's gonna be good enough for the, the smaller games that you have. Okay. The, the difference will come in having a good director as well. Okay. Because you, yeah, if you, 
have the, have good actors and a good quality microphone, but you don't necessarily have a good director. If you're personally, as someone who's not experienced at directing, trying to get the performances out of the actors, that might hold the process up, if that yeah. makes sense. Because that's a role in itself, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Voice acting director is like yeah. a... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, obviously this room has got lots of shiny surfaces. It would be <laughs> awful to record. <laughs> Especially when you start getting people shouting, you're going to hear echoes all over the place. Yeah. Um, but you can get yourself in like a, a, a small uh, cupboard room, a walk-in wardrobe-sized room. Sure. Um, or even, if you want to be cheeky, you can get yourself a cupboard, put some coats in it, some not, non-shiny coats, to dampen the sound, yeah. play with that and see mm. the kind of uh, sounds that you can get from a fair quality microphone in a room like that. Cool. Um, to experiment with. I mean, that'd be good for your podcast. No, it really well. helps. Give, I mean, give that a try. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, guys, like we're recording this on an iPad. So, speaking of things on uh, shooting <laughs> budget, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, that that's awesome. So 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 you said sort of mentioned sort of you haven't had experience in the directing role, but can you describe? Uh, some of the things that a good voice director would do uh, that would help make your job easier? Uh, yeah, sure. So apart from the basics of picking up the the, the lines that I said, oh, oh, Natalie, you've just pronounced that word a bit funny. Can we just go again for that line? Um, things like, so the director will look at the script and it's their job to understand the scene and understand exactly the tone of things um, and kind of veer the actor one way or, or another or actually I think that line she's a little bit more pissed off actually in that line that that was great what you gave me but um, can we can we highlight that she's nervous a little more yeah. um, so focusing on the, the emotions the worst thing that you can do is give us a line read okay uh, so uh, actually Natalie the line's supposed to be said like this it it, um, it starts to shut you down if you're just parroting what someone has said you start to lose the emotional truth and it sounds like such a wanky act to do <laughs> but it makes such a difference well yeah. there's such such a core to what you're doing when you're sort of embodying a character mm. even sort of saying lines and stuff like that and my personal experience isn't with line actually to tell you the truth the very first job i ever had as a kid mm -hmm. was I worked as a voice actor that was recording lines for a uh, English as a Second Language thing, and mm -hmm. I played this character named Bart. Uh, like it, it was just weird. <laughs> I was like really excited about the fact that I was like a Simpson character, even though I wasn't really. Mm -hmm. But but there's so much that goes into uh, that you wouldn't expect that to. So like I mean like sort of like if if someone is telling you to to sort of repeat a specific thing, it yeah. it's sort of really. Um, uh, dismissive of your ability. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's like they don't trust you to be able to do the thing that you are capable of doing uh, well. And and sort of like in my experiences sort of acting when I was younger, um, when someone had the confidence in me to be able to say, hey, I know you can do something awesome. I'm going to help you get there. Mm -hmm. um, I felt a lot better. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, one other thing that sort of... Uh, really struck me when we were talking about that 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 um, uh, panel, the voiceover panel mm. at VentureX. Uh, there was a point where they mentioned, do all the screaming at the end. Yes. yes. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> that is very important. So uh, we call them efforts. And it's not just screaming. It's uh, laughing and crying are incredibly taxing on your voice as well. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you might not know that. But um, the, the way it affects your vocal cords uh, can be just as bad as screaming. So 
anything like that, lifting things, uh, being pushed, pushing, swinging a sword, being hit, dying, all of that, um, they're all efforts, uh, but do them at the end. Yeah. Definitely. That's interesting. Yeah. And give us the context of them as well, because, uh, um, I mean, it depends on the type of game you're playing, but uh, if you want a death cry, yeah. Um, I would say this, the person playing your game is really bad and they're dying all the time. You don't want the same death cry because it's just going to get repetitive. Right. Or if you've got uh, you, you've got your warrior elf and they're swinging a sword, if every time they swing the sword it goes, hip! It's a bit legend <laughs> yeah. style, but if every yeah. time it's hip, yeah. hip, 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 yeah. hip, you know, it's all yeah. the same. It gets really repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, give us a little yeah. bit of context. Give us yeah. time to give you varieties and be like, right, okay, I want a small sword swing big sword swing, large sword swing, yeah. about five of each Yeah. to, to really give yourself variety to play with, um, yeah. with, with all of those efforts. There was, there was a really great talk using, uh, uh, also at AdventureX about mm. this idea of using audio to narrate stories. And mm. there was an example that the presenter gave about um, Silent Hill 2. And right. how there was hundreds of different sounds for the footsteps. Mm -hmm. uh, so even sort of like, I mean, whether it's sort of like you're in a wet environment or a foggy environment mm -hmm. or Silent Hill 2 goes to some crazy places if you guys have played that game. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really interesting to sort of see that that, that variation creates mm -hmm. such a... Um, uh, I'm trying not to use the word immersive, but more sort of like an audio, a sense of audio immersion, a sort of reality to that. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. So sort of hearing that, you know, instead of hearing people go like, hey, listen, hey, listen, hey, <laughs> yeah. listen, you know, like it's, it's, it's nice to hear that that stuff is important um, uh, to go forward because I think it, it, it's, it's really um, something we should be thinking about. Mm. So. Wait, wait, but instead of recording like hundreds of different footsteps, don't they also like, like record only one or two and like change the pitch, for instance, or like do everything like with the computer? You can you can do that with Foley sounds. Yeah. You mm -hmm. can't do that with the voice. Okay. Yeah. Start sounding weird. Yeah. That was uh, that was something that Billy was talking about earlier. So I do, what what is a Foley sound because I don't know what that is. Uh, so Foley is the art of creating noises for film, television, video games, audio dramas with the use of household objects. Oh cool. So you might have um, you might have someone being pushed down the stairs. Now, you don't want to, you can't necessarily record the sound of them falling down the stairs on TV. Say, say you're shooting a, a TV show. Right. A person falls down the stairs. You don't necessarily want to capture that sound because, weirdly enough, it might not actually sound real. Yeah. Your microphone might not pick it up in the right way because it's such a big distance to fall down. Right. You've got to carry the boom all the way down to get the noise. So it's easier to get someone to do it in a Foley studio. Um, and so they'll get... Uh, things that sound like a human and things that sound like stairs and they'll bash them together. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or they'll have um, little trays, like cat litter trays, full of different types of gravel and stones and sand and they'll step and walk on them and they'll have the video of the person or it could be from a game. Yeah. Uh, they'll have the animation of the person walking and they will match their footsteps in time to the character's steps. Mm. It's cool. fascinating. Cool. Yeah, there's, it's a and proper art form. Yeah, oh yeah, so, and there's yeah. hundreds of videos on YouTube online. Do you do that as well? I don't, know, <laughs> but I, I'd love to have a go. I yeah. think it'd be great. 
Cool. All right. So um, uh, I do sort of just because we're getting very close to the time uh, that we had agreed on sort of meeting, uh, make sure that everybody can get to where they're going. Uh, I've got one last question uh, before sort of closing things up. Uh, If there were a role uh, available uh, that has either been done or has not yet been done uh, that you'd like to do, what would that role be, Natalie? Commander Shepard. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Excellent choice. <laughs> so, um, or, or another Bioware game, but yeah, it, it was Jennifer Hale's performance as Commander Shepard that was re- really got me thinking, yeah, you know what, video game voiceover, I want in. Awesome. Cool. That's nice. uh, that, is, that is great. So uh, we're going to sort of close things up on that note. Uh, briefly, I'm going to run through the ways that you can reach us. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at underscore experience play. Uh, at our Tumblr at playfulexperiences.tumblr.com. Uh, we're still working on a website uh, that should hopefully be up soon uh, where we'll be able to share all of our work uh, with you guys. Uh, if you've got questions, you can reach us on the Twitter or you can reach us at our email at contact at playfulexperiences.com. That's C-O-N-T-A-C-T at playfulexperiences.com. And uh, for people that are looking to learn more about Natalie, uh, where can they reach you or where can they find you on the internets? Uh, I have my website, nataliewinter.co.uk. Um, probably the best place is Twitter, though, uh, where I'm at winter, like the season, natters, N-A-T-T-E-R-S, at winter natters. Same on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash nataliewinter. And I put all of my reels and demos on there. I do, um, just for my own kind of fun, really, um, once a week I do a, a weekly winter <laughs> which is where I play with a different um, different piece of copy uh, in different kind of styles. So November, I'm looking at corporate and e-learning types of voiceovers. So I've been posting different like snippets of me doing that kind of thing. In September, I did some video game voices. In December, I'm going to be doing uh, a little bit more of an ambitious project, and I'm doing an animation advent calendar. Oh, cool. So every day, I'm doing a different cartoon voice or impressions voice. Um, some characters that have already been established that I'm kind of imitating, some that I've kind of made up. Do you, have, do you have a preview you could give us, or is it not ready yet? Oh, well, I don't know, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, cool. Uh, well, thank you so much, Natalie. It's been a pleasure having you. You're welcome anytime. Uh, and uh, this has been really fun. Uh, before I forget, it's Thanksgiving today, technically, even though this is re- uh, uh, broadcasting tomorrow. Uh, but happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm very thankful for your time joining with me. I'm thankful for everybody listening. And I'm thankful for the pumpkin pie we're about to eat. So uh, mm-hmm. with that said, uh, have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Uh, bye. 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 bye.